Welcome to another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. I know we want to get into the action, but I have to ask that you help me armor us up a bit for the bumpy road ahead. Because I bring you the first hour of this show without unrelated ad nonsense as a proof of concept. And if you value it, then come over to THC Plus for the $8 a month and hear the full two-hour interviews as they were designed to be and as you would enjoy them most. Go to thehiresidechats.com or just click the link in the show notes to get started and within a minute you'll be plugging in your new Plus Show RSS feed into a hopefully decentralized podcasting 2.0 supported app. Feed the things you want to grow and starve the things that gotta go and we will reach the promised land. Think about that and enjoy the show. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. What a time to be alive, Higher Side Chatters. From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and we hear so much about reincarnation, the potency of our time, and Earth as a soul school, that it does lead one to wonder, why am I here, and why now? No doubt we are wading through troubled times that can seem like a bad Twilight Zone episode or something out of A Handmaid's Tale, where most people we know are captured by coronavirus fears, yet trusting of very shady people and corporations with serious criminal pasts to give them the magic shot that can end it all. Well, as we learn more about the details of this shot and the reports of damage and deceit that don't make it to the nightly news, our role in the here and now might be a lot more important than we realize. And that's certainly true for today's guest, Dr. Christian Northrup, and if you say respect credentialed and accomplished doctors, it might be time to listen up. Because she's a board-certified OBGYN physician with more than 30 years' experience, trained at Dartmouth Medical School, former assistant clinical professor of OBGYN at the University of Vermont College of Medicine, and three-time New York Times bestselling author of Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom, the Wisdom of Menopause, and Goddesses Never Age. She has also done eight highly successful mainstream television specials. She was on The Oprah Show ten different times, and in 2016, she was actually named one of Oprah's Super Soul 100, a group of leaders who are using their voices and talent to awaken humanity. In 2013, Reader's Digest named Dr. Northrup one of the 100 most trusted people in America. And in 2020 and 2021, she was included in the Watkins Spiritual 100, a list of living people that make a unique and spiritual contribution on a global scale. Her career has focused largely on teaching women everything that can go right with their bodies and taking a holistic approach to health and wellness, but lately she's been very brave in putting herself out there to inform the people of what the data really shows about COVID-19 and the global injection campaign the medical establishment has touted as the only acceptable solution. A position we certainly respect around here, so let's get into it. The do-gooder doctor, never-aging goddess, and teller of uncomfortable truths, Dr. Northrup, welcome to the higher side. (laughs) I love that introduction. That sort of says everything, doesn't it? (laughs) Yes, yes, it does. And I try to have a little fun with those because uh, this stuff can be so heavy, but it is a real pleasure. I know you're in high demand, and to have 
It's just some of your time is very much appreciated. I hope to use it wisely and get to several interesting subjects, but the COVID-19 shot is probably what people are anxious to hear most about. Like you, I avoid saying vaccine because it doesn't really fit the definition, but you've also made the remark that you think this injection campaign didn't come about to cure COVID, but rather that COVID emerged as a catalyst to get people to take this shot. I think that's a pretty powerful statement right there, but talk to us about what is in this shot and what the data really shows regarding injury and damage at this point, despite billboards and mouthpieces everywhere saying it's completely safe and effective. Well, first of all, if you understand Mockingbird Media, and I know that you do, mm. that term, safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective, is like some kind of a hypnotic meme that's been going through the population about all actual vaccines, like when they actually were vaccines and not ways to enter you into the matrix. Mm. <laughs> but so if you do the history of vaccinations, which nephrologist Suzanne Humphreys has done a masterful job on in her book, Dissolving Illusions, as a nephrologist here in my state of Maine, she was noticing that her dialysis patients would have their renal function that she had just struggled, you know, for days to get back on course through dialysis where you have to use absolutely pure water. What she noticed is that after they had their adult vaccinations with let's say pneumonia, shingles, flu, their renal function plummeted. So she just asked the head of the hospital, could we delay those vaccines until the patient goes home? Could we spread them out because they're adversely affecting kidney function? And they started in with her the way they always do. <laughs> no, vaccines are safe and effective. They are the most effective public health measure ever created. They have been a godsend for humanity. So she began to do a deep dive on the history of polio, measles, all of it, right back to smallpox. And she found out that things are not what they seem and they never have been. So what I want people to know is that this is an agenda that's been going on for a long time. 27 years ago, they started, they, meaning my profession, began to give hepatitis B shots to 99% of infants in the United States. Those shots contain far more aluminum, which is a very potent neurotoxin, far more than the FDA has seen as safe and uh, effective. And the only way you can get hepatitis B is sex with IV drug users or prostitutes or healthcare workers, you know, from using needles. But most newborns aren't doing any of those things. So we have actually prepared our population with the fact that kids are now getting 72 mandated shots by the age of 18. And that all started in about 1991. In 1986, we had the act that gave vaccine manufacturers carte blanche. You can produce anything you want and you have absolutely no liability. Now, when you look at the history of Pfizer, the history of Merck, the history, well, Moderna's done nothing ever except come up with this. And the name Moderna stands for modified RNA, just so everyone knows. And everyone working on this particular shot 
is a major stakeholder in the company. I'm amused by the fact that Big Pharma funds an organization out of London called the Center for the Countering of Digital Hate. I'm one of the disinformation dozen, which you might know. That's 12 people. There's a couple more now. 12 of us identified as creating 70% of the disinformation about vaccines on the internet. I think that they've paid something like $4 billion to shut us down. I lost my second Instagram account last night. And these people are serial felons. If you look at their history, let's take Merck with Vioxx. They knew it was killing tens of thousands of people, and they didn't do anything about it until they were absolutely forced. And all they do, like that movie Dark Water about DuPont, they pay a fine. That's just in the budget. It's the price of doing business. They pay off people and they continue. But now this agenda has reached a fever pitch. This particular shot does not have any natural biologic material. It has a synthetic mRNA that is so fragile that you have to keep this thing, at least for the Pfizer shot, at, I think, minus 90 degrees. And I just recently learned a new little factoid. It contains magnetized iron oxide iron particles. And this is part of the reason why when you get the shot, refrigerator magnets stick to your arm. But if you wait long enough, they'll stick to anywhere in the body because the magnetized particles, which are never designed to be used in humans, actually are distributed throughout the body. What the magnetic stuff does is it forces the mRNA into places that the body would never, ever let it go. So we now know there's another ingredient in those called SM102, and that is a type of crystalline substance with luciferase. Isn't that a nice word, luciferase? Right. And that's a hydrogel that goes 64 times more concentration in the ovaries than in other tissues, also in the spleen, where immune cells are made. There's also polyethylene glycol. 70% of people are allergic to this. It's a solvent. It's to get this thing past the blood-brain barrier. And, you know, in the beginning, when friends of mine would go into their doctor, they were asked to sign a consent form that said, do you have your EpiPen with you? Because so many people were getting anaphylactic reactions to having the shot and some died on the spot. Now there's no EpiPen, there's no anything. Just go to a pop-up store in Toronto if you're 12 and we'll give you an ice cream cone and you can get the shot. There was a report now, I believe from Israel, that those who've had the shot the young people who've had the shot have something like 150 times more chance of cardiomyositis, inflammation of the heart, and some are dying. And yet, and yet, there are many universities, including all the ones here in Maine, that are now requiring this shot to matriculate in the fall. When you begin to get into this and you find out that this technology for making a population sterile, and let me be clear on what we've seen. All right, what we've seen so far is 
people getting the shot and then people just around those who've had the shot are having miscarriages. The miscarriage rate in the UK is increased 550% over normal. Women all over the world are reporting abnormal bleeding, so much so that we created with Millions Against Medical Mandates a site called mycyclestory.com, mycyclestory. And we are collecting the thousands upon thousands of stories about women who are losing babies in the second trimester, passing what are called decidual casts. And that's like the entire inside of the uterus, like a plaster cast of the inside of it all comes out in one fell swoop. There's something going on here. So there are hydrogel nanoparticles. These are things that actually can combine with your central nervous system and grow so that it's a sort of combo of biology and AI, artificial intelligence. And the only way to look at this agenda is to see it as a depopulation agenda. And why would I say that? Well, COVID has a 99.8.9% survival rate. Your risk of it as a child is zero, basically zero. And we've had really good treatments from the very beginning, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, Zithromax, and every doctor like me who went online to get the word out was roundly censored. And you have to ask yourself, what is going on here? Remember the Lancet, a formerly well-respected British journal, actually hired a con man to do the studies on hydroxychloroquine. They used a dose that was three to four times higher than it ever should have been so that they could show, oh, well, that didn't work. So meanwhile, all these doctors, like Dr. Corey and Dr. Bartlett, who used budesimide, Eric Naputi out in Missouri, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, all these people having no one dying on their watch are suddenly being censored, roundly censored in ways that make no sense. And then worse than that, we were all called racists, white supremacists. That's if you question the mask mandate. All right. Let me give you the, the rationale for that. The communities of color, Latin people, Black people, Native Americans, were dying of COVID at a higher rate. The belief was that a mask was protective. There's Not only is there no data, the data is that the mask lowers immunity, you're breathing in your own CO2, and it makes you much more susceptible to anything that's going on. But the rhetoric was, and still is, you wear the mask to protect me. The same PSYOP of you need to give your kids 72 different injections in order to protect my kid who is immunocompromised. When in fact, it may be exactly the opposite. If you go into a children's cancer ward, there used to be, a year ago, signs that said, if you've been recently vaccinated, well, let's say MMR, polio, whatever, you're shedding live virus for seven weeks. So you're the risk, not the other way around. Wow. 
but we've been banging this drum for so long that people actually believe this stuff. And any of us with a differing opinion and science to prove it are roundly silenced. Now, why are we even doing it? I work with a group called the Five Docs. That's Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, Dr. Carrie Made, who is an expert on the nanotechnology that's in these murder weapons, Dr. Larry Pilevsky, and me, and Lee Merritt, an orthopedic spine surgeon who's worked with the Navy for years. So all five of us have come out on the front lines of this, and there are many, many more. We've come out on the front lines for one reason and one reason only. We couldn't sleep at night if we didn't. And we frankly do not understand why our colleagues are not joining us in droves. Because for the first time ever, I saw in Medscape yesterday, a mainstream medical publication brought to you by Big Pharma. Doctors were actually weighing in on their personal experiences getting the COVID shot, and it was not pretty. The fact that that was actually published in a mainstream medical place shows me that the tide is turning and people are waking up. But at the same time, we still have the prom in Exeter, New Hampshire, that happened over the weekend. The kids who did not have the shot were made to have a mark on their hand and every third song they had to raise their hand so that people knew who they were so that they could decide not to dance with them. We might as well all be going around with yellow stars. And what astounds me, I guess they're not teaching history anymore or this group would never, ever, ever consent to something as disparaging. Another friend of mine is in New York City. She was just invited to a birthday party. But you can't go unless you've had this shot. And once you understand antibody-dependent enhancement, here's what we're liable to see in the fall. When your body is exposed to a wild-type coronavirus, and there are about four wild types, then this particular antibody situation in your body, because remember each shot contains 50 billion spike proteins. And the spike protein itself is the thing that damages the kidneys, the brain, the eyes, the ovaries, the testicles. That spike protein is now being injected into your body so that your body will make antibodies to that so not only are they injecting what is probably the pathogenic agent, though nobody knows, but also your body is then being made into a factory to produce those same spike proteins that we know are exhaled in the air you breathe. They're in the urine, they're in the feces, they're in the blood, they're in the sweat, they're in the sexual fluids. So the truth of the matter is, the people who are possibly the most dangerous are the ones who've had the shot. So remember, they're the ones with these nanoparticles throughout their body, the hydrogel, the magnetized iron oxide nanoparticles that make magnets stick to them. And the hydrogel itself has a voltage. So if you carry around a 
EMF meter. Just do this, carry around the EMF meter and you will find that these people have an electromagnetic field around them that's off the charts. Now, later when they come into contact with the wild type coronavirus, their body is apt to begin to make antibodies incited by the wild type, and then they'll begin to make antibodies against their own tissue because we know that this spike protein cross-reacts with 28 different human tissues, including the ovaries, including the placenta. The spike protein has a section that matches what's called syncytin. Syncytin is a protein absolutely essential for creating a placenta. It fuses cells together. And so this spike protein has a little segment that matches the syncytin. And we think this may be why so many women are getting bleeding or getting miscarriages or having these decidual casts, but nobody knows. My friend, Dr. Larry Pilevsky, who's a pediatrician, has seen baby girls come in now who have just spent the weekend around vaccinated grandparents and they have labial rashes and the boys have scrotal rashes. So we're very concerned that those who have had the shot and they say they're fine and they had no side effects and all of that, that later on, this is going to come up in their systems. And then we know what medicine will say. Well, it is a virulent variant of COVID. So you need another booster shot. The only variant is the level of stupidity. <laughs> and that's where we are. Wow. Wow. Well, that is a great summary. And I'm certainly on your page. And this is the kind of thing that our guests have been talking about for 10 years, but it's kind of hard to wrestle with it actually being here. It almost starts to sound like some James Bond villain sort of over-the-top thing. I mean, you're using terms like depopulation agenda and murder weapons. And I've heard you say, you know, kind of in jest that maybe we should invest in funeral homes. And yes. <laughs> I, I understand this stuff, but at the same time, like I know some of your colleagues expect this shot problem to end up being much worse than it is now. And that's just so concerning because I'm sure a lot of our listeners did not get the shot, but I bet a lot of the people that they love and care about did. But most of those people do seem fine at this point, at least in my world, but I want to be prepared for what might come. So I guess I just wanted to drill down into what sort of time horizon we're looking at. You mentioned the fall. What sort of ratio are we talking about when it comes to serious death and injury? I mean, millions of people got this shot. How many shot takers do you expect to still be here in five years or three years? Because the picture that's being painted starts to sound pretty extreme. It is extreme. And I'm hoping that this invention called MedBeds that Simon Parks talks about, I'm hoping that that comes onto the scene. Because remember that when you've taken this shot, it's not like oh, you got an MMR, so now you're going to do a detox. You're going to get rid of your heavy metals with cilantro and parsley and following a vegan diet or what the medical medium tells you and drink a lot of smoothies and you know take some activated charcoal and some bentonite clay. This is not like this. Once this goes into your system, it takes on a life of its own. The hydrogel literally becomes alive. 
There is another part of it called prion disease, which is an abnormally folding protein. And some of the spike proteins that are being injected have this. And when a prion goes into your brain, that's mad cow disease, and there's no reversing it. So I don't know anything here on the earth that's going to reverse the situation. I do think, and I've heard this, I have never confirmed it, that 30% of people getting the shots, that 30% of them were placebos, probably because the nefarious ones decided it would look bad to kill everybody at the same time. And they had to make it look like, well, I'm fine. I don't know what happened to you. But we do know from the VAERS database, which is highly manipulated, let's just be clear, that that only reports one to maximum 10% of all the adverse reports, including death. So you figure they're reporting about 30 deaths per day. There's over 5,000 deaths now since December. That's just in the US. And there are thousands also in Europe. So if it's only reporting one to 10%, it's more like 3,000 deaths per day. But let me tell you why you can't get a hold of that data. For the last year and a half, no matter what you died of, a car crash, a parachute jump from a plane, it was a COVID death. Right. Some of you might have heard Marty's story. This is a guy out of Scottsdale, and his mother got the shot and died the next day. And they just put it down as COVID, which they do. And he wasn't going to have it. And so he made them, and with their own dime, they paid for an autopsy. And she had massive liver failure. So remember that this shot goes into all the different organs. We're already, we're seeing, I think children had about an 80% adverse reaction to the Pfizer shot. Now, here's what's odd to me. When we had the swine flu epidemic in the 70s, 54 people died from the shot, from the H1N1 flu shot. So they stopped the program too many people were dying. When is it going to be too many people now? But remember, the whole system is set up for, well, that didn't happen. But that's no different. And you know this because you've been in this for a while. Of the mother who takes her kid in for the routine childhood vaccines, and the child starts to have seizures, and the next day loses speech, loses developmental milestones, and they go into the doctor who says, well, that has nothing to do with the vaccine. Even though if you read the package insert, you will see all of the neurotoxins and all of the precautions in the package insert. But let me be clear, doctors don't even know this. Doctors don't even know this. We're never ever taught about vaccines except for the mockingbird media. Vaccines are safe and effective. They are the most important public health thing ever invented by humanity. No, no, no. It's clean water, it's clean air, it's good food. That's what actually helps people heal. Back in the day when tuberculosis was so common in the 1930s and 40s, people healed in TB sanitariums. They were up in the mountains and every day they put the beds out on the lawn and they healed through good food, fresh air and sunlight. Imagine, but you see, that's things you don't need to pay for and remember that 
Big Pharma cannot patent anything that's naturally occurring. So please keep in mind that we are injecting here an operating system designed to change the way the human species acts. It's an AI system. I've been saying for years now that the movie The Matrix is a documentary. <laughs> yes, yes, I've heard that as well. And so if we share this interview with our more mainstream friends and family, they'd say, well, she sounds like she knows what she's talking about. She's got a nice resume, but she's not a virologist. And they always do that. Yes, it's always so course. funny, no matter what you say. Judy Mikovits is a virologist, right? All the virologists I know who say the same thing, they just cancel them. I mean, it's so interesting what people do to avoid cognitive dissonance. Yes, yes. What people have to do to go home and sleep at night despite all the mounting evidence. And what it is, is that good humans really can't believe that our government would do this to us, that Big Pharma would do this to us, that the family doctor, they can't possibly imagine that this is happening. And as a result, because they have overtrained their intellect and undertrained their intuition, mm. they can't see it. But if you've been in it long as I have, like I went into medicine and had already been radicalized. I had two family members who signed out of the hospital against medical advice and would be dead if they hadn't. And that happened when I was six. And then when I was interviewing for medical schools, my dad was in the cardiac intensive unit, intensive care unit at Buffalo General Hospital. And he knew that he didn't have a heart attack. So he called my mother and he said, come and get me. They don't know what's going on. And he had a fever and an infiltrated IV. And he walked out of there with the chest leads dangling off of him and healed well at home. They didn't know what was going on. He had infectious pericarditis. He did not have a heart attack and they were treating him wrong. And he healed sitting up in a chair. Now, his brother and sister were both medical doctors. So it wasn't like, you know, we were just avoiding medicine. It's that literally I saw the places in medicine where things didn't add up. And doctors are not God. And the practice of medicine, starting in the late 80s, early 90s, has been increasingly taken over by big pharma. And because you can't patent a naturally occurring substance, the only medicine that you've all been taught is effective is the one that's based on drugs that are not found in nature. And remember that the Flexner report and then at 1920 by John D. Rockefeller, the same people running, his heirs are still running this nefarious organization. They closed down all of the natural medical schools, the homeopathic medical schools, the naturopathic, the osteopathic, the chiropractic, and the only medicine that was considered non-quackery, they invented the word quack, by the way, the only medicine that was considered right is MD, medical doctor. Now the DOs are even losing that wonderful ability to do adjustments that osteopathy is based on, and they're becoming just like MDs. So when people say, you know, well, check with your doctor, that's like, uh, if it's a standard doctor who hasn't awakened to this agenda, they're not going to help you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And 
like you say, there are plenty of doctors and virologists that are on this page, but they get canceled or they can't penetrate the mainstream bubble. And so it gets difficult to get a true sense of the scope of resistance. And maybe you can help us there because we have this myth that there's this industry-wide consensus except for a few rogue voices. <laughs> and, and maybe you can paint a clearer picture of that resistance and just how strong it is and how much it's growing by. Well, I want to give you an example from my own life. Last April, I decided I was going to do a meditation for my Facebook community starting on 4-4-2020 because I like the portal 444. And I also knew all the data from the Institute of Heart Math about cardiac coherence and also the global coherence project where there are sensors all over the planet that measure the human emotional energy field and see the way in which it affects the electromagnetic field of the earth, which is called the Schumann resonance. And I knew from the Journal of Conflict Resolution and other publications that when you get a certain group of people all meditating together at the same time, it changes the Schumann resonance of the earth. So in a very real way, we humans are the sense organs of the earth and our emotions affect the earth dramatically. So I thought, well, let's, it looks a little weird here with COVID. I don't really believe that this is as bad as they say, but we were back in the time of, oh yeah, we'll do our part and we'll just flatten the curve and all humanity comes together. This, okay, we'll do it. So I'll do this global meditation. And I did it. And then I would begin to notice that things were happening. I was being canceled. Now, really, I had I had a very well-respected career. In 2013, I was named one of the most trusted people in America by Reader's Digest. I just have to tell your audience because you'll understand the number one person at that time was Tom Hanks. So for <laughs> what it's worth. Um, <laughs> but but anyhow, how do you go from that? And then simply because I testified against vaccine mandates at the state house, then it began. Then all the hit pieces began, even though in every book I've ever written, I have talked about informed consent when it comes to vaccines, particularly Gardasil, which I spoke out against on Oprah in 2006, the year that it came out. So anyhow, I'm suddenly being vilified on Facebook. People who I had known for years are treating me like I'm some kind of criminal, and I'd never seen anything like it. But I was also used to having my views questioned because I'm a past president of the American Holistic Medical Association, and I've always been ahead of the curve with things that are helpful and won't hurt anyone, like vitamin D, like delayed cord clamping, giving pregnant women folic acid, omega-3 fats in baby formula, you know, the dangers of mammograms, and on and on and on it goes. So when this started to happen, I began to talk about it. And I would just do a little 10-minute thing every day on Facebook. And because I was saying things, questioning the narrative. I had people actually go into my account and find out how many 
people I was losing because also these, I didn't even know about trolls. So trolls were showing up. They were saying things like, I've followed you for 30 years. What's happened to you? Have you lost your mind? Did you get psychotic? It reminded me of Linus Pauling. He had won two Nobel prizes in biochemistry. But the minute he began to study vitamin C, people began to say that he was demented. So that's what they do. You need to understand how it works. The minute you're over the target, they start to do character assassination. So I was getting the most hateful messages. And at first, I would engage and explain my point of view, give some scientific facts. It didn't matter. No matter what I said, we were not having a civil conversation. So then I finally learned, okay, if you're not respectful on my page, I'm going to ban you. So this was in July. We lost 2,000 community members and gained 13,000. So what has happened to me personally is that I have a bigger group of I call them community members because I we don't do the guru follow me thing. My my thing is all about empowerment. So what we did, this whole sort of informal group that was created all over the world, just through social media, Facebook and Instagram and so on, someone dubbed us because we were then accused of being right wing. And if someone liked Donald Trump, oh my God, you couldn't possibly. I mean, and that was to me insanity that anyone would be so ignorant as to blame something like the COVID thing on one man, be that Joe Biden or Trump, you know, none of that. It was so politicized. Mm -hmm. And someone dubbed us finally the warriors of the radical light. Then what happened and what's happening right now that's wonderful is that there are now warriors of the radical light groups all over the world. They're in Canada, they're in Australia, all the people who were coming onto my channel every single night for over a year. I just kept the channel going until, of course, they removed the Instagram (laughs) channel. But now it was like the seeds were planted and people were supported. I felt like I was kind of a planetary midwife to help people get through this period of insanity because there were many, many people, and you probably know this, who are the only ones in their family who could see it. It's Mm -hmm. like those who are the only ones in their family who are saying, I'm not going to get that shot. Why would I do that? I've looked into it. And at the very least, let's just be prudent. Most vaccines takes five to 10 years to bring them to market, and they're not risk-free. So imagine something that's never been done before in human history, bringing that out in seven months. What would be wrong? Oh, for a disease with a 99% survival rate for which there are amazing cures. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that just common sense? <laughs> right. Why don't right. You wait? Could we just wait and watch how this plays out? Mm-hmm. Well, it's great to hear that you're getting more support with such controversial positions, at least counter to the mainstream narrative. 
and the history of whistleblowing and speaking out against the system. I mean, it's pretty checkered. There's a lot of people who didn't nearly get as much support as they should have, and then they mysteriously disappeared and all that stuff. But it seems like this year, there are more experts, more virologists, more doctors that are putting themselves out there, and the net that catches them is greater than anticipated, greater than the mainstream would want, clearly. And that's kind of a beautiful thing. It seems like across the board, the the resistance is growing, not shrinking, and there's more experts making the point, not less. That is exactly my experience. And one of the things that we have done, you probably know Pam Popper in Columbus, Ohio, and her organization is called Make Americans Free Again. But way back last summer, I began to follow her videos and she called the whole COVID thing fact-free hysteria. And she, she wrote a book called COVID Operation. And all the stuff she predicted last summer has started to happen. Now, I was ushered into the whole COVID thing by all of these states suddenly making all these vaccinations mandatory, like taking away religious freedom, because uh, the, the standard vaccines, by the way, contain fetal DNA from aborted fetuses. So there are many religions. I mean, think of it. The Muslims don't eat pork. Catholics don't believe in abortion. Many religions don't believe in abortion. And suddenly you're going to inject your children with fetal DNA from aborted fetuses? Like, really? So these things were all being brought up, and I was traveling around the country testifying against vaccine mandates. And my testimony are all a matter of public record. And so I was meeting like-minded physicians in our state and a whole lot of parents who were just very grateful because, and I want to be clear on this, they just wanted the ability to delay the shots or to individualize the schedule. They wanted full informed consent. And more than that, in our state, we had a 95% voluntary vaccination rate. So it's not like we were headed for the next measles epidemic, although measles is, you know, I think the death rate from measles is two in a million. And it primes your immune system to be healthy later. I want to remind people that we have the sickest kids we've ever had. 54% of all children now have a chronic illness. And that began with the act in 1986, giving Big Pharma free reign that they could inject the kids with anything with absolutely no liability whatsoever. I mean, when did a peanut become a weapon of mass destruction? You know, suddenly you can't have a peanut on the plane because a kid was going to get anaphylaxis. That's probably from the autoimmunity caused by the vaccines itself. But I'm finding, so I'll give you an example. I'm going to Tampa. Next week, I believe they have six, 7,000 people at Clay Clark's Thrive Time show. I was out in Tulsa. There were 5,000 people. The tickets were sold out almost immediately. In Tampa, the tickets are already sold out. This thing is happening next week. And everywhere, I was just in Sioux City, South Dakota, with Rashid Buttar's Advanced Medicine Conference. It had to be moved from Charlotte to 
South Dakota because Dr. Batar needed it in writing, in writing, that they would not make the conference participants wear a mask in the convention center. So I have been around big, big crowds of people who are on the side of bodily integrity and medical freedom. And this includes a whole lot of people who are lifelong liberals. You know, this is way beyond politics. And frankly, I feel strongly that both parties are compromised, both the Republican and the Democrat, and neither one is working for the good of the people. So I'm kind of done with that whole situation. But that said, I know some very, very good legislators, and we are here in Maine, we are working at the grassroots level. And that's what Pam Popper started. She said, here's what we need to do. I want to make it really simple for everybody. We need to become one-issue voters. And the one issue is, do you believe that the state should have the right to determine what gets injected into your body or that of your child? Do you believe that the state should have that right? And if the person says, yes, the state should have that right, then you go next <laughs> and you're on to the next person because you can vet out someone very, very quickly. Here's the bottom line. The public health agenda and the vaccine agenda is the tip of the sword of tyranny of crimes against humanity. So this one question, do you believe in mandated medical procedures, that kind of clears the deck <laughs> and become a one-issue voter. And so what Pam has done is put together a database, and we're building it to millions so that we know everybody in every county, in every district, and the minute these devils try to do this, then you can vote out someone we just had a town election, and the guy I wanted, who actually believes in the Constitution, lost by only 100 votes. Well, next time around, we can get him in there. You know, I met with him. This is what we all have to start doing. We need to meet our representatives. I mean, we were all asleep at the wheel. I was included. I'd vote, but I didn't do any more than that. Now, I want to know their names. I see what they voted on. I mean, we just had a guy that we voted into our town. He seemed like a very nice guy. He voted against a bill in the legislature that would allow a designated caregiver to visit someone in a nursing home or in a long-term care home in the event of another pandemic. Mm. How do you vote against allowing a loved one to come and visit in the time of crisis. Because as you know, many, many people never saw their mother or their father or their loved one for over a year in the name of keeping us safe. Right. That's a crime against humanity. It really is. And this dude voted against it. And so did almost to a person, all of the so-called Democrats. 
the party that's supposed to be the liberal, the ones who care about other people. Why would that be? Because they're a captured party at this point. I don't know who they are anymore. Yeah. But I, you know, I'm not political. I am for medical freedom. I don't care if you're an alien. If you're <laughs> for medical freedom, I'm going to vote for you. Because if we don't have that, we got nothing. Right. I agree. And it is comforting to hear that we're not the minority they try to make us feel like. And you are right that 2020, it became quite important who your local government was, who your governor was. The whole navigation of that year was very dependent on your local government. And I rarely pay attention, but personal responsibility is definitely the name of the game. And we got to step it up a little bit. And I know we got to go in just a minute here, but I told Diane we wouldn't end this without at least mentioning your latest book, which is called The Wisdom of Menopause. And obviously your main focus is typically women's health. And this doesn't apply to me, but we have moms, we have sisters. There's a lot of women in that sort of age group that do listen to this show based on the emails I get. Can you tell us a little bit about this book and how it recontextualizes the way we think about menopause? Yes, this book is the fourth edition of the classic from 2001 that Oprah called her Bible way back then. And it lets you know why the menopausal transition is a birth canal into the best years of your life, how your brain rewires, how the best sex of your life is all on the other side of menopause. And it's the exact opposite of what you've been told. It is a new beginning. It is your soul's voice saying, it's my time now. It's uh, adolescence in reverse. So you go back and you rescue the little 11 year old girl who was mouthy and knew what she was about. And now she's got skills and she knows how to use Venmo and PayPal. And she generally has a house and can drive her own car. So now she's in charge. Your soul is in charge. And I let you know how to make these the best years of your life, because there is no question chronic degenerative disease begins at perimenopause, but it doesn't need to because the perimenopause is a time when the body goes, really? You're going to keep doing that to me? Okay, I'll show you. I've given you 40 years to get it together. And you haven't paid any attention. You're still drinking too much on the weekends. You're eating too much sugar. You're not exercising. You don't know how to get into a squat anymore. So now you're going to turn into an old, decrepit, resentful woman. Or you're going to be reborn as a goddess. Your choice. Hmm. I like it. I think that would interest a lot of people. And again, the shamanic context filters into that too. All stages of life. Like it's really a radically different paradigm that. Uh, has way more bleed in to different things than we might realize at first. It sure does. And that's when life becomes fun. So, you know, here I am and, you know, I'm on the front lines of this and, you know, the cancel culture and the disinformation doesn't, and I'm having more fun really than I've ever had in my life because no one is in my life who doesn't totally get what this is about. And so we're firing on all cylinders instead of those of us who've been the black sheep of our family, constantly trying to fit in and constantly trying to justify our existence. Instead, we are realizing, okay, we've been called to be here for the greatest show on earth. And there's all kinds like us. We are linking arms. We have our swords raised and our shields in front of us. And we are here to win this 
or die trying. And we don't believe in death either. So we'll be back. <laughs> Cheers. Very well said. And as we're coming to the end of the line, I got to say, really, this has been incredibly insightful. Please give the people the details on the best places to follow up with your work, your links and any other links and resources that might help them navigate the intense road ahead. I know you got a lot of different irons in the fire. Yep. DrNorthrop.com is the big one. That's my email list. So DrNorthrop.com, sign up for the e-list. And then I'm on Facebook and Telegram. And Facebook, you know, I have a huge community there. I'm being very careful with that community. I put all the stuff like what we've been talking about on Telegram. Mm. So right on. And where to find me. Yes. And the Disinformation Dozen has their own website, My Cycle Story, Millions Against Medical Mandates. There's a lot of things out there, people, so don't feel isolated. And right. Thanks again. I know you're in high demand, and this is one of the longer shows asking for your time. So I hope you get the kind of response that shows it was worth it and hope we can do it again in the future sometime. But you're one of the best. Keep fighting the good fight. Thanks, Greg. That's been great. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Praise be, higher side chatters. Dr. Christiane Northrup, one of the most accomplished public critics of the COVID shot conundrum. I know there are just a ton of people trying to get an interview with her, and I've had this on the schedule for many, many weeks, and I'm glad we got it done. It went a bit differently than expected. In my head, we were going to finish up with the vaccine stuff about the 30, 40-minute mark so that I could have added orgasmic birth to the title, but it ended up taking up the whole first hour, and obviously it is pretty important. But it's bittersweet because I never like to put things in the title that aren't in the free show, but orgasmic birth would have been a headline grabber, as they say. It is what it is, and I kind of changed direction on the fly because she has a great medical resume of accomplishments, but she's also kind of a great resource collector. And I wanted to ask about the resistance movement overall to show you guys that we aren't alone and to mine for future guests that I might not be aware of. In a sense, I was trying to steer the conversation towards looking forward rather than looking back, because we've heard about PCR test accuracy and mask ineffectiveness and alternative treatments for COVID that were actually safe and effective, but were not allowed into the conversation. And you can never expect a guest to know what we've talked about before in previous episodes. And when you get such thorough answers and you don't want to interrupt, I just want to pivot and put the target on the future rather than the past. The future in the sense of, you know, what do we think is going to happen now that so many people have gotten the shot? You can't unget it. But also, how many new doctors and experts are joining this chorus line of critics that say this was a big mistake? What about the political resistance? What about the legal resistance? She is very much running in these circles, and though these aren't subjects that use her medical background, they are more interesting to me than rehashing cycle thresholds and ventilators and all the other things we were right about eight, nine months ago. I guess one of the core issues as to why I might be unsure we took the right path is that I'm looking around my circles, and I'm seeing 18 of my 20 best friends got the shot. 80% of my own family, 80% of my wife's family. 
and I want someone to tell me what is going to happen. What is the fallout of this? Because what's done is done. We can say things like this is a bioweapon and a syringe, or this is a depopulation agenda, but true or not, it's not detailed enough. I want to be mentally prepared for the correct amount of loss. But the raw truth is that nobody can tell me that. Nobody is going to know. I'm desperate for an unknowable answer. And I'm sure I'm not alone. But we are in a wait-and-see phase for something that is unprecedented. It's easy to get a little freaked out when you hear all these stories about blood clots and all that. But I'm not seeing it with the 50 vaccinated people I interact with weekly. So I almost get in this mindset of, look, the news told me coronavirus was killing us all, and I didn't see that in the real world. Now the alternative world is saying that the vaccine is going to wipe everybody out to the point that we'll have to reseed the planet, and I'm not seeing that either. I know that my own limited experience is anecdotal and all that, but when you read stories online or you're in a position like me where you get dozens of emails from listeners who have seen damage in their loved ones, it can start to feel like the sky is falling. But how many hundreds of listeners have seen almost everyone they know get the shot and nothing has happened, you know? It's got to be put in perspective. It's smart to try to keep things in proportion. But the animal testing does not make me confident that this will all be okay. That's the big point that everyone is leaning on. It's a domino effect, really. It's not necessarily the shot itself, but it's about the next time you catch a cold. So I guess we're just going to know a lot more in the fall. But I don't want to overhype fear on either side, from the virus or the vaccine. But throw in this shedding aspect, and it's even more of a wild card. And Dr. Northrup made a really interesting point about shedding even in childhood vaccines. I honestly didn't know that was a thing. In all the vaccine conversations we've had, I don't think that's ever come up. Why don't we pull kids out of school for a week when they get vaccinated? Or why isn't it a known thing that people who want to vaccinate their kids should do it in the summer when they're not in school? Obviously, not all kids get these vaccines at the exact same time. So why aren't kids constantly sick with all these diseases that their classmates are getting vaccinated for? There's something weird there that doesn't make sense to me if this shedding aspect is a common thing. Also, it wasn't until the Plus Show where we got to talk about this aspect of the plan where we're being primed to have our biometrics connected to a blockchain and some subsequent cryptocurrency, not just in a vaccine passport kind of sense, but that there is a bioluminescent tag in the actual shot that can be scanned with certain equipment. And I wouldn't put it past them, but it is another weird gray area for me. What's the real agenda here? Kill everyone with the shot or onboard them to this blockchain? What is the point of the latter if the former is true? It could be a percentage thing, I suppose. A good chunk of people will die and the rest will be connected to this digital dystopian nightmare. Maybe 5G scanners will end up being right in line with metal detectors at concerts, stadiums, schools, and airports. And it'll just read the nanometals inside of you. No need for a vaccine passport. You are the vaccine passport at that point. 
But time after time in the 10 years I've been doing this show and the 20 years I've been interested in conspiracy, the alternative community is regularly mocked for hyperbole and overselling the agenda. And I don't want to do that. I want to be able to look back in 10 years and say, no, we were right. And we were more right than anyone. So I hesitate to adopt every single one of these positions wholeheartedly. I want to know about the possibilities. I want to hear the most extreme aspects of what way more qualified people than me are looking at. But I worry about going so extreme that we'll look back and say, well, we were right about the damage caused by the shot, but we were wrong about just as much as we were right about. It's a tough place to be, people, but I'm trying to do right by you. A good example of this nuance is in the magnet thing. Now, I've seen the Man on the Street segment that the High Wire did, and I've seen some videos that ring true and genuine to me. And so I would put the magnet thing in the true category. I do think magnets stick to arms at the injection site a few days after getting the shot. But Dr. Northrup at one point said that magnets are sticking to people all over the body, and that I haven't seen. I know she's a lot closer to this information than me, and she probably has seen it happen. But let's go a step further. On No Agenda, they played a clip recently where a conspiracy researcher was ranting about this and said that spoons and keys and metals are just sticking to people's bodies now. And it's like, no. I don't think that's right. This really isn't the kind of thing that needs embellishing. Refrigerator magnets sticking to people's arms is crazy enough, isn't it? We're not all turning into mini magnetos out there. It kind of reminds me of that whole counter-narrative control tactic where the nefarious few will seed over-the-top, over-embellished narratives in the alternative community to make us look stupid. So if we feed into that and just start spouting off in a game of conspiracy telephone, it's not much better than following the mainstream narrative and drinking that Kool-Aid. It's hard to not get swept up in it all, but I'm trying to stay measured here. And I'm probably sounding like someone who wants to have their cake and eat it too, because I am attracted to extreme opinions, clearly. I like hearing the most extreme thoughts on elite agendas, and I hold a lot of that in my head as possibilities, sure. And it's intoxicating to listen to for me, and I assume it is for a lot of you, but I don't want to live so far down the rabbit hole that I have no hope that we can survive this thing, or that the elite are all that good at accomplishing their goals. I'm sure so much of this stuff we talk about is in their head, but the rollout is a different thing. I have to believe that they'll fall short of their desired outcomes in a lot of cases, and the best thing we can do is keep it all at arm's length and try to enjoy our time here, laugh, and rather than see them as some all-knowing, all-powerful, unbeatable cabal, see them as an annoyance that needs to be swatted away. The villain of the movie who might huff and puff and try as they might, but they're doomed to failure in the end. Because we're all just energy, life is a theatrical experience, and it's an exciting time to be alive. It's the mindset that gets me through the day. It's what I choose to believe. 
If a buddy wants to challenge me over it after a few drinks, I'm not that interested in defending it. I don't really care who else believes it, but when people ask how I can have this job where it's constantly staring into the darkness of the abyss and not find myself crying in the shower or slowly walking into the ocean, that's how. <laughs> so we're going to keep talking about this and going over the latest updates in terms of the numbers and the scope of the damage and what the alternative community is saying. New information will keep coming out and it will be what it will be. But Dr. Northrup is right. These companies are serial felons. And all I can hope is that justice this time around means a little more than a manageable fine. And I didn't know about the disinformation dozen before today, but I'll probably shoot to walk us through most of that list if I can. One a month sounds like a pretty good plan. We'll see how it goes. I'm also cognizant of wanting to keep the conspiratorial biodiversity strong when it comes to what we cover. Always leave a few slots open for solutions and better ways to live, magic, secret sciences, alternative history, the works. But I definitely have a lot of respect for Dr. Northrup. To have one of Reader's Digest's 100 most trusted people talking about extraterrestrial lizards... It's a testament to how weird reality has gotten, and I'll take it. As always, there is a second hour to these here interviews, and if you're intrigued, sign up for THC+. And instead of asking you to buy some unrelated products, they can break me off a dollar or two. We do it direct. $8 a month, five two-hour shows, action-packed and sponsorship-free, with 10 years of archives available to you on day one. No blocking off previous seasons and charging you extra like some of the colleagues do. But that's neither here nor there. In today's second hour, we talked about the vaccine tracking movements and the goal of linking those movements up to cryptocurrency, shamanic healing, the technique to heal from anything, big theme lately. And Dr. Northrup is also on board with that line of thinking, which is a beautiful thing. We talked about the spiritual aspects of the COVID agenda extraterrestrial lizards, as I mentioned and have to mention again, why here and why now, orgasmic birth and other natural birth secrets, circumcision and Kellogg's cereal, finding local medical resources in line with the range of THC guests, and a few other things well worth the price of admission, especially when Space Jam 2 looks as bad as it does. Really? You're going into a computer this time? How original. I guess everyone's taken up the Jumanji template. But anyway, keep up to date with Dr. Northrup's interviews. Check in on the Disinfo Dozen. These are the brave people willing to speak out and challenge the big machine, and it needs to be challenged. Get the links from the show notes, and I'll see you next time. I've done my part. Your move, jab injectors, reptilian deceptors, and biometric blockchain tyranny tyrants. Your fucking move. I won't take it. No, I refuse. If it's all right, I'll keep my refuge. I've been scheming of bigger things and have to leave my old life behind. Gotta transfer to the inner earth. I built a box, built a hole, got a neat elevator going under. And now you'll find me in the bunker.
the smiling and your cage me how this happened how you don't see protection of all is the special shelter built according to specifications of your local civil defense organization. The basement of any house or building will become a good improvised shelter if you block the windows with sandbags. If you don't have sandbags, just what can you do? Bunker, take it under. You'll find me in the bunker, bunker, bunker. 